What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. First of all, it's lights come on, the breaks come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine From the Pink Seats Podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. Welcome back into From the Pink Seats Podcast. I am one half of your hosting team, Jacob Lane of the State of Louisville.com. As always, I am joined by my good pals, Matthew McGavick, Louisville Report Sports Illustrated Deputy Editor and the go to journalist for Louisville Sporting News, uh, as well as Vincent Lacoco, former Louisville football player uh, and student assistant. Guys, we're past the bye week. It's the, the halfway point has come and gone. It feels like we've been only doing this for a few weeks, but here we are and the season's almost halfway over. Yeah, it's 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 crazy how time has flown. It, it feels like it was only just yesterday we were doing our opponent series review with the six different opponents, and now we've already faced most of them. That's crazy. Right, exactly that. And we got a great show in, in store for you tonight. We're going to walk through some of the positions. We, we teased this a little bit last week and weren't able to get into – the nitty gritty of it, and you know, here we do the nitty gritty football, the, the balls deep into the football information. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to walk through each position group and kind of give them a performance grade on how things have gone this season. I think we'll have some takes that come out of this. Uh, we're also going to sit down with AJ Black of BC Bulletin of the Sports Illustrated Network to talk Boston College football. We could sit here and talk Boston College football until we're blue in the face, but we don't know it like the experts know it. So we're going to rely on AJ to bring the information here and kind of Help us get an idea of what uh, around what to expect on Saturday. But let's just jump right into this. We're going to, like I said, we're going to give our report cards out for the season for each of the position groups. Uh, Matt, you did this on your site a, a few weeks ago, so you have that to lean on. Most people who listen to this probably read your site, familiar with your work, so they probably have seen all that. But um, I, I do think there's some, some things that we're going to disagree on tonight. I think there's a lot of things that we're going to agree on. But uh, let's start with the quarterback and Malik Cunningham. Um, if you give him a grade, this is the position where I feel the most confident. I don't know about you guys. In years past, um, especially the last couple of years, it feels like this is really debatable. But Malik Cunningham, for me, is the um, shining star on this football team. And if you uh, kind of take away all of the BS and drama that has gone on with play calling and late game and uh, referees, the one takeaway here is that Malik Cunningham has been sensational. I'm going to give him an A. I'm going to give him a, he's been so good. He gets an a, one of the very few a's I will give out tonight, Matt, what do you think, man? I'm going with an a minus because you know, there's always some room for improvement, but I mean, I mean, what, what other grade is Malik Cunningham going again? I mean, he's unquestionably the mid season MVP at this point. He's, I think the last time I checked, he was top 20 in total yards per game. He was at one point had the second most rushing touchdowns in the nation and his, his passing might not be at 2019 efficiency levels, but it's still damn good. And couple that with the, the, the way that he's running the football, the way he is. I mean, 
I shudder to think where Louisville would be now if Malik wasn't playing at this level. You're exactly right. And I'll give you a couple of statistics here that I think are super important before Vince jumps in here. Um, we talked about him and his turnovers, right? We, we obviously know what happened last year. Two interceptions, right? Am I mistaken on that? That's a, that's two, a key yep. statistic, two interceptions. Uh, and then this is my favorite, points responsible for. You don't often think of somebody for points per game, points responsible for in football because if it's, a, it's an 11-man show versus a five-man show. 11th in the country points responsible for this man is a top 15 scorer in the nba that would make him somebody like jamal murray and which i mean if you want to mm-hmm. you want to talk about can you want to talk about star power jamal murray is a star right so that's not a bad comparison lee cunningham has been um somebody that louisville can rely on in a way that we've not seen so far in scott satterfield what do you think vince yeah I'm, I'm giving him an a as well he's just been the most consistent guy on the offense the whole year like you said two interceptions he's 11th on points responsible for he's just done everything we've asked of him and you know obviously like matt said just there's always room for improvement nobody's perfect out there so excited to see those improvements this second half of the season that's right but the one thing that i think uh vince i want to ask your opinion on from somebody who has been around him has seen things kind of evolve from him being um under bobby that freshman year and really just being a run only guy to becoming a passing threat obviously in 2019 led the country 70 80 90 yard passes down the field um do you feel like he's improved as a pocket uh, not just a pocket passer a multi-read quarterback that's more of what i want to ask because matt and i talked about the soft season uh, it seemed like he was very locked in on Dez and Tutu, and, and it was a one-read thing. If he didn't see it there, he was gone. Uh, I read an opinion last year that really stuck with me that blamed Frank Ponce for that, um, blamed him for an offensive scheme that if the first read wasn't there, uh, it really kind of put Malik in a bad spot. And not to throw Frank out of the bus, right? I don't want to – that's not my point there. But uh, Malik obviously had a far way to go as a multi-read quarterback. Do you think he's gotten there this year? I, I think he has gotten there. I've highlighted it. Uh, of weeks past just him progressively going through his reads this guy's not open this guy's not open okay maybe I should take it and run or I should hit my check down or whatnot uh I I mean I love coach Ponce to death but that isn't that is kind of attributed to coach Ponce he was a little bit I feel like he's a little too meticulous with everything in the offense he's been running sats offense for years now so he does know the every in and out they're still running it at app when he went over there but with new quarterback coach Pete Thomas I think Pete being the younger guy, he's a little bit more sat like minded to where he doesn't really care about your steps. He cares. He wants you to play within the offense, but be your own player at the same time. Maybe if Malik's comfortable taking the, the certain steps uh, with a certain play, instead of doing it the way coach Ponce thought that might be a little bit more uh, successful. Yeah. I think that um, from a statistics standpoint, obviously we've seen statistics be a little bit better 2019, just that the overall metrics uh, efficiency, pocket passing, all that things were, they were a little bit better, probably credit that to Mekhi Becton in in a way. But um, I do think considering that this season, which we're going to talk about the run game next uh, it's, it's taken a little bit longer to get there. Um, The offensive line has had their struggles, all things considered. I do feel like Malik has been special and, um, when you consider the lineage of quarterbacks and Brian Brom and uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson, obviously Stephon LaFour's Dave Ragone, I feel like Malik has slept on. I, I do feel like the season he's had because of the things that are happening with Satterfield are overshadowing the performances of Malik. And I said this a couple of weeks ago um, and my buddy kind of looked at me sideways, like, are you serious? But I, I you know, 
I think there's a legitimate chance that in our lifetimes, right? We're all in our mid twenties. We've only seen so many quarterbacks, but it's Lamar, it's Teddy. And then it's Brian Brom, probably in a way. I think that if you compare these guys talent wise, pound for pound, it's Lamar, it's Teddy, it's Malik Cunningham. And when you, I mean, it's just, it's hard to deny that. And I know that this, that we've had so many weird battles of should Evan Conley play is Malik doing enough. But when you look at what's happened the last three years, Malik has been the difference. If Sat doesn't have Malik, I don't, I mean, God, what, what does Louisville look like right now? You know? Uh, and yeah. that's, that's when you talk about that, man, Malik has just been special. Um, and we're going to continue to see more of that. I really hope we talked about this last week. Satterfield leaning in and trusting Malik Cunningham. Matt, when we talked to Tyler Griever, that was the, the, the point number one on the 40-day, 40 40-point 40 plan. Trust Malik. If Scott Satterfield can have a kumbaya uh, moment, come to Jesus moment and say, golly shucks, Malik Cunningham, we got to trust him in the crunch moments. This season has a chance to go the other way. I really I'm going to need you to do that, that again one more time for me. <laughs> golly shucks. Jeez, oh, man, we just, <laughs> just excitement. Move on to the next position already. <laughs> but if Satterfield can trust Malik down the stretch, I feel like this has got a chance to go the other way compared to what we've been the last few weeks. All right, running backs. This is an interesting one. I'm interested to see your all's take on this. I think that I was a little bit more optimistic than maybe what the numbers would tell me at this point. Jalen Mitchell, Hassan Hall, Trevion Cooley have really kind of, I don't want to say split duties because the carries would not tell you that, um, but they, in a statistics performance type of deal, we talked about the per 40 numbers over the summer and how like that looks in football. These guys in my book, you could put any one of them out there and they'll probably do the same thing for you. I, I tend to think they're going to get better. Maybe that is why I am a little bit more optimistic. I gave them a B minus. The statistics are not pretty. Jalen Mitchell at this point only has 357 yards and he's your leading rusher. Malik Cunningham is only 10 yards behind. Um, Running back's got a little bit of ways to go considering what Scott Satterfield does. I actually shared your optimism. I I ended up giving them a B. I mean, when when you look at it in a vacuum, I mean, yeah – it's not going to be that great, but when you think all things considered, I mean, there's been some really solid production. I mean, Jalen Mitchell, I mean, has kind of been the feature back to an extent. I mean, other guys have gotten carries, but I mean, when you look at how the carries are split, I mean, obviously you're going to think, okay, this, this is the guy. I mean, and he's averaging north of four yards a carry, which I mean, is, is always the benchmark for a good running back. And then you've gotten good looks from Trayvon Cooley. Hassan Hall had a breakout game against Virginia and even against uh, Florida state, Maurice Berkeley looks pretty good. So it seems like, they look good, like from top to bottom. This is one of the more complete position groups that Louisville has right now. So that's why I was kind of higher on them than I probably should, and I gave them a B. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I gave them a C plus. I just am slightly grouping them in to when I think running back. Obviously, they run the ball and they catch the ball, but at the same time, they're in that pass protection game, and they're kind of grouped in with the O line and the tight ends in a sense like that because they do have protections where they have to sit there, sit in there and uh, help out Malik in that area. Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting. Um, you talk about that. That's part of the reason why I gave them a little bit of a higher grade. Um, I, 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 the sack numbers this year, I don't have them off the top of my head in terms of what the team has given up, but I, I do know from what I've seen, the eye test, the running backs have gotten better in pass protection. Malik Cunningham said as much this week, talking to the media, that the offensive uh, you know, line has struggled a little bit early on. The running back struggled, but they have bounced back in a, pa- a pass protection way. 
Um, and for Malik to be able to do what he does, those running backs are crucial. I mean, you're, you're lined up in that pistol formation a lot of the times uh, when those running backs don't drop out into routes or don't, you know, kind of pop out to give Malik that drop down option. They are tasked with blocking. And I can think of a couple of different plays where um, I can, I can think in my head of seeing a running back making a last second block to save Malik from a sack. That's all you can ask for from the running backs in that area. Um, but I will say uh, from a, from a carrying the ball standpoint, they have got to become more efficient. Um, the numbers are just not, I mean, I, they're not awful, right? I don't want to make paint this, this picture of terribleness, but 4.2 yards per carry for, for Jalen Mitchell um, and 3.7 yards per carry for Trevion Cooley. Hassan Hall's a little bit higher at seven yards. That number is skewed because of this. Kind of skewed game, because but, that Virginia game. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, I, I do think that they are missing kind of that um, nine to 15 yard carry right now that guy who can give them that consistently like Javian did last year they need that in the second half of the season Hassan Hall surely looked like he could become that um, Scott Satterfield he he seems pretty confident Trevion Cooley can also become that so that'll be something to watch all right wide receivers uh, Vince this one holds a special place in your heart I'll let you go first man I'm curious to see what you think on this because I um, I'm pretty excited about the wide receivers I'm not gonna lie uh, I'm going to give the wide receivers just a B I think I think they've been pretty good on the year. Everybody, no one guy is standing out so much as that where, you know, last year, past two years, it's been Tutu and Dez. Uh, it's exactly what I, my first time on this show, I was telling you all, it's, I like this wide receiver room just because of Malik not getting so dialed in on just one guy. There's multiple guys. What's What did it say right here? Ten guys have caught what? Jacob, uh, you have six players with 10 plus catches yeah uh, and then you have seven players with a touchdown or more which i don't have this in front of me but i would not imagine that seven players caught a touchdown last year if i just had to guess that off the top of my head i would not imagine seven players caught a touchdown all of us yeah um, i don't think they did i think it was around the five mark but i'm not 100 sure yeah but you're right it just kind of shows the the versatility of them all the only gripe I have, and it's always been my gripe, it was my gripe whenever I was in that room, was just I wish <laughs> they would block more. Like, stuff gets sprung so much better whenever these wide receivers are blocking hard downfield or they're selling a vertical. Now route. you sound like a coach. <laughs> <laughs> or they sell, like, a vertical route, you know, and wave their hand and make the DB look stupid when he thinks he's going for a ball when we're running the ball for 60 or something like that. So. Yeah, what do you think, Matt? I'm curious what your opinion here is. I'm gonna have to go with a grade of C plus, and I kind wow. of wow, okay, okay, and I I kind of attribute that to sort of how they performed over the first two three ish games, how they weren't really creating a whole lot of separation on their own, like even against that Eastern Kentucky game that didn't look that dominating, but they I'll give them credit, they did start to as a unit get a lot better down the stretch. I think my gripe, and it's a really stupid gripe. I'll admit that because you can look, you can look at the other side of that coin and say, Oh, they're doing all collectively really well. No one's really established himself as the quote unquote go-to guy yet. I mean, they, they probably would have had one in Braden Smith, but he's gone for the season. So he, he can't be the go-to guy now, but on the other side of that, you've got a lot of guys who are con- contributing more, and doing a lot more in enhanced playing time, reps, all things of that nature. Jordan Watkins is doing a lot better. Justin Marshall actually looks a lot better than he did a lot than he did last year. Amari Huggins, Bruce, he has a bright future. Tyler Tyler Harrell has turned things on the last couple of games. But the reason I kind of gave them a C plus because they kind of looked lost 
a little bit in those first two games. And I'm, and plus I'm a little bit surprised that no one out of this remaining group has kind of tried to establish themselves as like the guy. That, that I will give you. I, I do think that that's fair that we've not seen that. But the reason why I don't think that is is because Malik is not – it doesn't Malik's not allowing one guy to become the guy. Malik is keeping all of them on their toes of, okay, you guys Which are going to all four run routes. And last year it was like 90 to 10% Des was going to get the ball or Tutu was going to get the ball. The other 10% went to whoever the other option was. Maybe you had like 0.5% that Marshawn Ford was going to get a little drop down. This year <laughs> you got 70 – you know, you might have like a 50% chance of throwing to Jordan and then a 30% chance of throwing to Justin Marshall. Every guy has kind of found their role and what they do. Well, uh, we need to trademark third and Watkins, not us as a, as a show uh, shout out to t-shirt hooligan because they kind of coined that Jordan Watkins on third down. That slant route is deadly. His third down slant route is the deadliest I've seen since Devonte Parker. I'm going to put that out here. I'm telling you just in terms of that quick slant, that, that three, four yards right into the middle of the field, be able to create just enough separation to get the ball and get down for a first down. That's, that's a very underrated skill and being able to separate in that amount of space. That's a bold take, but I'm telling you just not Devonte Parker, 70 yards down the field slant, just like a five yard slant, big difference there. But Jordan Watkins yeah. has carved that out. Justin Marshall in the red zone has, has shown the ability to be able to make catches, run with the football. Uh, Braden Smith was was really showing the, the ability to become a possession receiver. He had 11 catches before he went down with an injury. Marshawn Ford is the leading receiver, which I, Matt, I predicted that that was going to be the case, that Marshawn yep. Ford would lead the team in receiving this year. Um, Malik is more of the reason why I give this group an A. Um, actually, hold on. Let me go back to my grades here because I got a little bit excited. Is that what I gave them? I did. I did. I gave them, I gave them an A. Um, they hit, like I said, I, I think this is a really important statistic. Six players with 10 plus catches, uh, seven players with a touchdown. Gunnar Brewer told us over the offseason that they were going to spread the sugar. They were going to give the opportunity for every guy to prove that they belong. They've done that. And the guys, when they've been called upon, have stepped up, um, you know, from Justin Marshall to Jordan Watkins to Marshawn Ford um, to a, a number of different guys that have catches. Amari Huggins, Bruce, if, if he doesn't have that fumble on the one yard line against EKU, we're kind of talking about him a little bit differently. Um, the wide receivers have shown they're they're. They're not they're not uh, Des Fitzpatrick. They're not Tutu Atwell. But these are guys that when they are relied upon, which Boston College on Saturday, if Scott Satterfield does not throw the football, I'm going to lose my mind because you have speed everywhere and you have you're going up against a secondary that is that they're fine, but the, you have a pass rush that can't get to the quarterback. There's no reason that a secondary should be able to cover Louisville's guys for that long. So. I say all that to say the wide receivers, they do a lot of different things. Malik Cunningham is finding them in their sweet spots, but they got to do more. They need more. We need more of it, and we need Scott to rely on them more um, from a play-calling perspective. Tight ends. This one's a little bit interesting to me. I think that if you look at this as Marshawn Ford, as his own position group, this is a different grade. If you bring everybody into the fold, it it, it changes things. The median becomes a little bit different. I have that them as a B-minus. Uh, Marshawn Ford has been spectacular. He's one of the top three tight ends in the ACC. Francis Sherman, Isaac Martin, Dwayne Martin, um, Christian Peterson, Vic Mullins. Those guys are MIA at this point. Des Melton had his first catch of his career a couple weeks ago. But where are the rest of the tight ends at? We, we heard all offseason about the depth there. I have not seen anything out of that group um, that is praiseworthy of any kind. So a B-minus is putting it nicely. What do you think, Matt? 
you and I are on the same page because I actually gave them the same exact grade. But I, I kind of took it, this into account, and you're going to think I'm crazy when I say this. I kind of took Marshall and Ford into more account when I gave this grade because while, I mean, by all accounts, he's having a, a good season so far, but, I mean, he's been kind of inconsistent at times because, I mean, yes, he is leading the team in 265 receiving yards. I'll give you that. But 202 of those yards have come in three games. And yeah. for overall for the season, his blocking has been good. There have been a couple games where his blocking has been bad. And then the rest of the tight end room, like you said, hasn't really, you know, stood out hardly at all, minus, you know, Isaac Martin for them at a catch. Was it against Wake Forest, was it? He's got one catch on the season, so I, I don't know. You tell me. Like, yeah. uh, does it matter? So, yeah, no, I, I gave them a B-minus, like, even when putting a heavy emphasis on Marshawn Ford, because even as good as Marshawn Ford has been, he still kind of had his moments. I'm going to give this room a C. And what I'm saying with that is, yes, Marshawn's been doing his thing. He's just been a little bit inconsistent, like you mentioned, Matt. Uh, it seems to me like they all individually do – they're not a complete group. Like, yeah. Melton isn't doing well blocking on his outside zone to where Isaac Martin is your hammer where if you need to get three yards, you're running behind this dude opposed to where Marshawn's going to be your finesse guy catching it. Those guys – if Isaac and Marshawn could just put all of it together, we'd have we would we'd have a completely different grade for this room, but they're not. So I'm sticking with that C. I'd love to see Isaac get thrown in a couple more pass plays to throw that tendency off uh, from opposing teams. But I mean, it is what it is. He is limited being that big old dude. So. Yeah, they got to keep Marshawn Ford healthy down the stretch of this season. That's going to be really uh, important to their passing offense and their blocking. Uh, you know, quite frankly, 2019, Marshawn Ford is one of the nastiest edge blockers I've seen as a Louisville Cardinal. And I don't know if we've seen that matched the last two seasons. Injury is probably a part of that. Um, but we need that to get that running game going. We also, you know, I know Malik Cunningham in the red zone has really um, focused more on running the football than that kind of um, – I don't even know what you call it. What's the, what's the, what's the play call where you throw it to Mar Marshawn Ford for like a one yard throw and it's a two yard touchdown. Like what, what, what's the route you classify that as it's like an out it's route. An it's an arrow. Okay. He's running it. We haven't seen as many arrows arrow. this year. Um, in the second half of the season, cause I do feel like we got to talk about this in, in a first half, second half. I, I kind of thought about this today as I was, this is, this is how my brain works. Knowing the show is coming tonight. I'm thinking in my mind, tight ends. I don't know why I was thinking about this driving to work today, but I, I, Stu Holt, he's a good coach. I think that he, he, he's been, um, you know, what Louisville needs in a lot of areas, but um, in the second half of the season, I'm going to grade him on how he gets the other guys ready to go. Christian Peterson, Des Melton, Vic Mullins, uh, Francis Sherman, the guys we talked about, because we know we know that Marshawn Ford is the guy that they're going to go to in a lot of situations, but they need that Ian Pfeiffer. Ian Pfeiffer is, uh, if he's on this team, it's a little bit different in terms of a blocking situation for me in my perspective. They need somebody to develop into that nasty edge blocker who's going to be able to set that 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 outside zone when they go out to that side of the of the field. They don't have that right now. They need somebody that they can rely on there from a pass catching and blocking standpoint. Um, I think we could see improvement there, but we'll see. Um, let's switch to the offensive line. This has been an area where uh, a lot of criticism, Matt, we have been highly critical of what they've done there. Jack McNell is a guy that, you know, I have not really um, uh, held back my criticism from considering what was said this offseason. But what, what would you grade the offensive line? 
Well, yeah, well, you say all those negative things to say, I'm I'm gonna grade this O line. You might be a little shocked. I'm gonna grade them B because yes, they looked really bad the first couple of games. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. There's no sugarcoating it. They look terrible. That, that, that's just how it is. But they've looked really damn good the last three to four games. They've really picked up the slack over since their really stuff started. I mean, listen to these stats. They're only allowing 1.33 sacks per game and 4.17 tackles for loss per game. Those are both top 25 in the nation. I mean, that's a far cry from the first two years under Scott Satterfield. And that's with Ronaldo Brown. He didn't play all of, I believe it was the Virginia game. Michael Gonzalez had a game where he, he couldn't play. And they've really gotten things together. I'll, that's why I'm giving I'm giving them a B and not probably higher than whatever grade you, know, you two guys are going to give them. That's what I'm, you got for us. I'm going to go with the C. They've had, bad, they've had bad moments that have looked absolutely horrendous and then they've had great moments where it's like wow who is this offensive line you know uh to me it just seems like even on a lot of these long runs like Jalen Mitchell or Hassan or Cooley or somebody still having to break some sort of a tackle or they're having to make a cut that isn't necessarily supposed to be what their cutback lane might be or where they might need to be on the stretch play so I'm just gonna go with the C I'd I think it'll be improved by the end of the year with how they're, they've been going on the trajectory. So uh, pretty excited about this group from the Ole Miss game where I was like, oh, man, it's going to be a long year. Yeah, I give them a C as well. I think that they started really bumpy. They, they didn't quite understand what was being asked of them. Uh, I do think that the Dwayne Ledford effect was there. We saw that. I think the guys have rebounded. They've played much better. They've set the tone a little bit more. Uh, we've seen less penalties, more physicality. As long as they continue on that trajectory, I think by season's end, we can get to a, a higher grade. But for now, um, I'm still in improvement mode. Defensive line, this is an area where I'm going to be quite honest with you. Louisville has sucked. Um, look. You can uh, the the play of Ashton Gelati has been a very big bright spot, but overall the defensive line has been um, you know, what do we call it? Cheeks is that the, the term we used a few weeks ago? Have they been yeah, cheeks? cheeks. <laughs> They've been cheeks. So uh, yeah. I'm going to give them a D minus. And um, if I brought home a D minus to my mom, things would not go well at my house. And so there's a lot of improvement here. And in fact, guys, I'm not I'm not afraid to say that I think a lot of the second half depends on what this group does. If they come and they they fix the issues we've seen the first six weeks of the season, Louisville's going to be in a different spot defensively. If they don't, uh, we're going to have numbers that that we saw uh, in 2018, and I don't want to talk about that. So somebody else, please talk. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of in the same line of thinking you are, and but I actually gave them a D plus. Oh, well, that was of, nice of you. Yeah, seriously, a lot of that from the plus to the minus is because of Ashton's body because he's yeah he he's been a stud. I mean, he's been really good. I mean. I was a little bit hesitant to try and buy into the hype because, you know, coach speak and whatnot. But, you know, he's he's been as good as advertised from what this coaching staff has sold us. And so it's been kind of refreshing to see that pan out. But, I mean, other than that, now some of it has been coaching. But some of the guys aren't really putting forth their best foot or however. Sorry, it's late. I really yeah, put I mean that's say. I, you're right. They're not putting forth their best foot, I mean, their best I hand, mean, their best pass rush move. It's not I mean, a lot of prior to the season. Yeah, prior to the season, Yaya Diaby said he was gunning for a 10 set goal. He has one at the midseason point. And over at the other defensive end spot, it's been shuffling between Ramon Perrier to Barrius Peterson, at times Mason Riger. And there's it's almost a non production at that point. I mean, they have moments, but I mean, as a whole, it's, there's not been a lot. I mean, listen to this stat. 
Louisville's got 41 tackles for, for loss on the season. The defensive line only has 15.5 of them. That's not good. No. That's not good at all. No. Vince? Uh, I'm going to also go with a D plus. The just Ashton's been the only bright spot there. The only way we beat BC, in my opinion, is if we switch to like a four down defense and this D line kicks it into gear. Otherwise, that fullback that they have, I don't know if y'all have watched much of him. That dude is a missile and he is going to get on our linebackers and they're going to, their O line, everybody knows about BC's O line. They're going to get a hell of a push. So I'm going with the D plus. I don't even know, like, if we talked about tactical adjustments, I think we could talk about this until we're blue in the face. If you want me to be honest with you guys, I don't think they have the the horses in the in the barn. I don't think they have them. I just don't. Um, don't and what do worries either. me about Scott Satterfield's tenure here is I don't see them um, on deck either. I, I don't I don't necessarily know outside of it. I, like, why is Victone Brown not a, a plant? Why, like, getting any type of action? Why are we not seeing anything else? Uh, we're seeing walk-ons. We're seeing guys who have not been uh, who have been here for years, like Derek Dorsey, that have been not non-difference makers in years past. Get on the field. And uh, where's and Jacques have- Turner been? And actually, better question: Why? How? How come he hasn't been performing up to what we thought he would be in, in the over the um, offseason? Because I really thought he could vie for starting nose tackle, and he's barely touched the field. He. he that's been my most disappointing player on that deal well obviously yaya calling a 10 sack season but uh hit, what's his name turner Jack, yeah, turner, yeah. turner yeah Jack, i couldn't pronounce his first name but uh he just so disappointing i'm just hearing people talk in the media how high the coaches were on him and i'm just like can we where? just stop adding defensive linemen from the conference usa i'm just gonna go ahead and throw that out there we've done that twice <laughs> now and i don't want to go into the i don't want to hash the details out here can we just stop because it doesn't yeah, it's, work that's probably a good idea We've tried a couple times now and it has not worked. Guys who are difference makers, all conference players, it's not translated well. The defensive line, th- this is where I just I, I really worry about long term what's going to happen because I just I just don't see how you get much better there without some serious uh, adjustments on the field. And we'll see if that happens. Linebackers, Monty Montgomery goes down early uh, with a with a knee injury. Um, they've had other injuries there. Uh, Nick OKK has performed. Um, uh, subpar we've we've seen uh, uh above um uh, expectations for jack Fago. cj avery is cj avery the linebackers are a group that you expect great play out of i think we've seen that to an extent i give them a b what says you matt so w- whenever i did my mid-season positional grades I, I actually split it up between inside linebacker and outside linebacker because i i kind of saw a little bit of a difference in play from the units. So I'm going to go with inside linebacker first. I gave them a C. And of course, some of that has to do with losing Monty Montgomery. And of course, you're losing a lot from the production he has. And the guys are kind of stepping in his place, Jalen Alderman, KJ Cloyd, Dorian Jones. I mean, they're just quite frankly, they're not on his level yet. Now they, they have moments. They have flashes of brilliance. I mean, Jalen Alderman had that game-winning pick six against UCF. But I mean, they're, they're, they have plenty of freshman moments. And then... In the same breath, I mean, C.J. Avery is C.J. Avery, but he's not been normal C.J. Avery so far this season. He's he, he's quite frankly had moments where he's really struggled. And when you then take into account the fact that Nick O'KK, quite frankly, has not looked good in the middle at all. I mean, inside linebacker has not been a really big strength on this defense. And then, but then you go to outside linebacker, and that's when things start to tick up. And I, I wrote on here 
B minus, but you know what? Screw that. I'm going to go give them a B because I mean, Yasir Abdullah, he's continuing to do Yasir Abdullah things. He's outside of Ashton Gelati, he's their best pass rusher, bar none. And then look over on the other side of the, the linebacking core, Jack Fago. He's had an incredible stretch the last few games. He's got, I think he's like third on the team in tackles for loss or sacks somewhere along that. But he's he's using his versatility both in coverage and in pass rush to make a really meaningful impact over there. And plus, I think in this last game, maybe the last two games, Marvin Dallas has started to really make a difference, mainly on special teams. But I think he got in on defense for a few plays, and even he looks pretty good. Uh, I also se- I also separated them from outside and inside linebackers. I, I, I just, just didn't get the memo. Apparently, Damn. shame, Jacob, yeah. shame. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, I think the inside linebackers get to see uh, CJ. Like we've been talking about, he's just CJ Avery and doing his normal CJ stuff. He's a little inconsistent, not really all there sometimes. Uh, outside linebackers, though, I'm going to give them an A. I thought I think uh, Yasir. I mean, he has been the best player on our defense all season. I think Jack Figo has, you know, Jack's not going to do anything that you're going to be like, wow, look at that play right there. But he's also not going to have as many busts as, you know, we would on somebody in like the 2018 team or whatever. He's not going to not do his job, basically. Yeah. And Marvin Dallas is a freak of an athlete on special teams. He's been killing it. He's in that room. And whenever we've thrown him in, that outside linebacker seems like he's been knowing where to go as well. Yeah, the the linebacker position is just tricky. With CJ, CJ has been very lucky to play next to Dorian Etheridge for as long as he did. And I think that with Monty going out, the quality next to CJ has forced him to kind of play his hand a little bit more. Um, And I think we've seen some of the flaws in his game that the staff early on when they moved him from safety to linebacker kind of saw. Just certain things in his game that just are going to be limitations more so than – Uh, being able to reach that potential. Um, And he's been still what you expect, uh, the leader of the defense, the guy in the middle that you can count on to make the play when it's time. But um, is he excelling and making everyone better and doing things to kind of lift your defense? No, he's not. Um, And they got to figure that out. They got to figure that out in a couple of spots. And the other spot they got to figure that out is in secondary because because, um, the secondary has been the most disappointing part of this football team. You talk about last season – Um, And Vince, maybe you can provide some insight here. There's been talk about it being skewed numbers because of Notre Dame and some of the other games on the schedule. Uh, The secondary was top 20 last year in in total passing offense, 17th, I think, to be exact. This season, they rank sub 100. They have 2018 numbers. um, And that is not me saying that as in, you know, oh, sky is falling. No, that is me saying that as in. Passing yards allowed, they are 124th in the country. They allow 11.5 yards per completion, uh, and the average attempt against their defense is 7.8 yards. So um, the defensive, the secondary in this has has really allowed the big play more so than we've seen in a while. I think that they deserve uh, a – like a D, but I'm going to give them a C because they forced interceptions and that's more Cottrell Clark than anything else. But we've seen Q Cole come up with a play. We've seen Duncan Trey Franklin made the play against Virginia guys have stepped up in certain situations, but overall Chandler Jones has been a massive disappointment. I think Gritty Vance has been a disappointment. Um, I think that in times Quintario Cole has not played up to par. We've seen just some, some unfortunate stuff from Duncan, but what do you guys think? 
you, you gave a friendlier grade than I did. I straight gave a D minus. I am actually considering giving an F for this because, but it, like I told AJ on his podcast, individually, you, you don't think it's going to be this bad. I mean, Keetro Clark has played solid football. I know for the last couple of games, he, he has, he's had a few moments. Can Derek Duncan and Quinterio Cole, I mean, they've had moments where they've looked like a good power five safety duo, and then they have other times where they can't seem to take the right angles to save their life. Greedy Vance struggled a bit, but he's had a few good moments as of late. Trey Franklin looks like a kind of a diamond in the rough kind of guy. But when you put all of those parts together, it's just not clicking. And then Chandler Jones, my goodness, talk about this disappointing. I really thought whenever we first heard over the offseason that he's going to split reps between quarterback and safety, that he could he could potentially be the X factor on this defense because, you know, we know how much this step raises uh, versatility at all spots. And considering how well he, he had played previously, or you know, we, we saw the potential, especially with him playing both these positions. And he's been a liability at times, quite frankly. And then when you see the amount of poor angles, Bad wrap-up tackling. I mean, you're, you're going to get a bad grade. Barnone, I mean, like you said, they're giving up, what was the 124th ranked pass yeah. defense? Yeah. I mean, that's – that's yeah. how is that anything but a D-minus or even an F? Yeah, I, I'm going to give the secondary as a whole a just a, a D-plus on this. Like you all said, you all been spitting out the stats, spitting out the stats. I, I attribute the safeties issues to – Kendrick getting here in the spring. Yes, Kendrick should know the defense by now, but it seems like there's still some kind of miscommunication out there when I watch these guys. And Q Cole just got here in June. I mean, that's, that's I think that I think that's the issue with that. I'll still take look, I'll take those two guys every day of the week over what we had the past two the past years. Mm-hmm. Like the safety room has kind of been suspect since Josh Harvey and Chucky and those guys left. Corners Trey Clark's been doing his thing. He's the only, I guess, bright spot on that corner corner room. Yeah. I think Greedy Vance is going to have a bright future with this program. He is just struggling right now to figure out how to play football at this collegiate level. Mm-hmm. I think he knows the defense, but whenever he gets out there, it's kind of he might be second guessing himself or something like that. So I think once he settles in a little bit more, Maybe this bye week has done him some good to get in the playbook a little bit more, to understand the defense a little bit more, understand our upcoming opponent a little bit more. I think, you know, Greedy's going to eventually turn into a pretty good cornerback for us. Chandler obviously has been, you know, the disappointing one. I was looking for him to kind of not, you know, not be as electrifying as the Honey Badger, but kind of like that moldish where we can put him, like you all said, at corner or safety, be that awesome nickel guy for us. But, uh, Hopefully he's still being a leader in that room and keeping everybody, you know, going. Keep an eye on the younger guys here because Scott Satterfield talked about on Monday and his press availability that they spent a lot of the bye week getting younger guys ready to go. Um, Can I Walker, um, uh, Derek Edwards, Rance Connor, uh, Josh Minkin, Scott Satterfield specifically called him out. Ben Perry, uh, TJ Quinn. Uh, There are guys there ready to go. And I do think that we talked a lot about this class, this 2021 class and how talented they were. 
I see other teams across the country get freshmen prepared to play early. And I don't necessarily know if Louisville, I, I, I know that Ashton Gelati has been a bright spot. There's been some other guys, Trevian Cooley, but Louisville's got a lot of guys who I thought would play that have not played to this point. I want to see what the bye week does for those guys, because um, if you can add a guy like Ben Perry, or you can add a shot in the arm and, and can I Walker and just kind of give each of these units some juice, man. Who knows what can happen in those final six games because it just takes a week for something to click for some of these guys. So um, I do I do think a heavy emphasis should be put on what comes out of the bye week. Uh, we'll see you on Saturday. So that's our position grades here. We appreciate you guys tuning in to, to uh, From the Pink Seats podcast. I am Jacob Lane of the State of Louisville. Be sure to check out stateoflouisville.com, all of the great podcasts there across the State of Louisville podcast network. Uh, you can find Matt McGavick falling asleep, sleeping Matt McGavick here uh, at the Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated. That is, uh, is it Matt underscore McGavick? Is that right? Matt underscore McGavick. Yeah, it, General Wasp is no more. I know it's going to take some adjustment from you, but hey, it's dawn of a new era, man. That's right. Dawn of a new era. And of course, be sure to give our guy here, our football guy, Vincent Lococo, a follow on Twitter uh, at uh, Vincent Lococo. We're going to transition into a second part of the show. We're going to sit down with AJ Black of BC Bulletin. We talked about this at the beginning of the, of the show. Uh, he's going to come on, talk a little bit about Boston College, what you can expect. There's been a lot of change there with that program compared to where they were when we sat down with AJ a couple of months ago to preview Boston College. But the Cards will take on the Boston College program on Saturday. Uh, AJ's going to tell us a little bit about that. Let's get right into it. All right, we keep it rolling here on From the Pink Seats Podcast. Jacob Lane joined by Matthew McGavick of Louisville Report, Vincent Lococo, former Louisville football player and student uh, assistant there. We're joined tonight by A.J. Black of BC Bulletin of the Sports Illustrated Network to talk a little, little bit more about Boston College, Louisville, uh, extremely important game on Saturday coming off of the bye week. Uh, and they get a Boston College team, A.J., that has had Louisville's number. I think it's, what, three out of the last – Four that BC has beaten Louisville. Is that correct? Or did I pull that number somewhere out of thin air? I think that is right. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's three out of the last four. It's unbelievable to say. And when we start out by the top of this podcast, normally I wouldn't kind of throw out this BC-centric question, but um, tell me from your perspective as a, as a media member covering the team, the fan base, I'm sure you have a good pulse on that. Mm-hmm. Does it feel like BC against Louisville? It's become a game where BC says, you know what? It's Louisville. We're going to win this football game. Nope. <laughs> no. Okay. No, I don't. I, I feel like on our end, it's like, all right, it's BC. We're probably going to lose. I, I, uh, you know, I was talking to Matt earlier on another show and on my show, and we were talking about Lamar Jackson. I think his, what he did to BC for years um, has scarred BC fans enough that they respect Louisville every single time they play, whether it's a game like last year where BC probably, I think they were a pretty good favorite in that one because it was home, you know, Dracovic was playing to this year where it's on the road and it's, you know, BC's lost two in a row. They're not playing very consistent football. They lost their starting quarterback. Um, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't think the fans are taking, they're very nervous. I, I literally had a fan tell me earlier today that they don't think BC is going to win another game this season. That's how, that's how Debbie Downer some of our fans are at this point. I know every fan base has them, but like they're, they're oh, yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, it's oh, funny because yeah. if you talk to a Louisville fan, they feel like the sky is falling and the world is over. So just about to say the same we're thing. We're going in the you, boat together at this point, it seems like. Yeah, listening yep. to those post-game call-in shows after that Louisville Virginia game, it was it was rough. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Uh, going back to um you mentioned Jerkovic, he's out. I think he suffered what an injury to his his throwing wrist, wrist. was it? 
his throwing wrist. Yeah, he, he was it was a fluky like, you know, he's a big physical guy. And of course, against UMass game, it doesn't really matter. He's, you know, at the goal line and he's trying to just shove ahead. And I think what ended up happening, it, it was UMass TV. So it was hard to see what the hell was going on. He fell, <laughs> I think, and then just broke his wrist. Mm, um, as a guy so, who's uh, broken his wrist three times, I can tell you that that is very unfortunate because yeah. wrist injuries, it's like all right, you fall nine out of 10 times, you get back up. It's the one time you put your hand down on the ground and your bone pops out of your wrist. It's, mm-hmm. it's just game over. Fluke. It's going to be so yeah, fluky. The fluky. It's all up. It's all up there. But anyways, ever since he went down, BC has gone to Dennis Grossell, who Louisville has experienced. He came into the game last year when Dracovic got knocked out in that game. But not so much who is Dennis Grossell, because I think Louisville fans kind of know a little bit about what he is. But who is Boston College post Phil Jerkovic wrist injury? Like what? How has their offensive makeup kind of shifted since then? Because I know previously Louisville – their new, not Louisville, Boston College, what their new look was like kind of thrown around more with Jacoby. Yep. But it seems like as of late, they've kind of favored what Boston College was known for under coach who should not be named by you and that they like to run the ball a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. This is like what Steve Adazio's wet dream would be like, it's <laughs> like an effective power running uh, offense that actually works. Um, they've had it. I mean, it worked really well against Mizzou. They had it going a bit against Clemson and it worked for a half against NC state before the wheels fell off. Um, it, it, it's so weird. And it's, it's, it's a compliment to their coaching staff for BC, what they've been able to do, because you were right, Matt, like they went into the season with Jakovic, Zay flowers, Trey Barry, these wide receivers. And it was like all this talk about like, I, I mean, I, on my podcast, I literally talked about Ken Jakovic in this offense beat Matt Ryan's, you know, statistics for 2007 when BC went to the ACC championship game. That's a fair conversation to have. It was at that point. It was fair, but now he's gone. And Zay flowers has been kind of neutered. Like he had a big catch against Clemson, but like against NC state, they couldn't get him the ball. Uh, Grossell struggled a little bit with that. Um, the, the power running game is where it's, it's really starting to show up. And with the power running game, what Grossell has been successful with is the play action, the short stuff, the intermediate stuff. He just doesn't have the arm to get it deep. Let's talk about big storylines outside of Dracovic. Obviously, you know, I'll be quite honest with you. I was very much on the Jeff Halfley, Dracovic. I I called him at one point a potential number one overall pick. I mean, he's a very talented guy. So uh, what's the biggest storyline outside of his injury, right? Because Boston College into the season is, uh, will they go as far as Dracovic will take them? Now what? So, I mean, I think the biggest storyline, it has to be Patrick Garwo, their running back. Like, you know, I, I make the joke, like, you know, I do previews every year and I talk about the players and on my podcast and on my site, I wasn't really high on Garwo and it, he's Patrick Garwo, the third Patrick Garwo, the second sent me a direct message to say, what the hell you're dissing on my kid. Watch what he's going to do this year. Oh, he's got, man. you're so wrong, AJ. And you know what? I have said it like five times on my podcast. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. And he AJ, had... what what did you write on your stellar stand uh, subpar? Exactly, that what, was what, what it was. Did, what did you write on that? Did you just now, trash I, the kid? All I said about Garwo was that I thought his role this season would be more of a complimentary power back, like a guy that you know they use here and there on third and ones goal lines, things in that, like that nature. I thought he'd be the third or fourth running back. I did not know that he'd be running for 150 yards, that he'd be the primary running back and that 
And, and, I, and I went to practice. I saw all this and I still didn't think you would do it because I thought it'd be Travis Levy. And he's been good. He's been excellent. And the more that they can get him into the game, the more that they get him established, that it, it, it takes a load off of Dennis Grossell, who when he gets too much on him can unravel. If you watch the end of that Clemson game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The last play of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more you could take off Grossell, the better Boston College plays. So BC's been known for uh, BC's been known to be able to run the ball and play good defense. Uh, how have they done that this season in comparison to seasons of past? So last year, the the running attack was atrocious. Like they were able to run the ball about three yards per carry. And even if you like take out the stats of like you know Dracovic when you know he, they, you take out the sack yardage because he got sacked a bunch and all that stuff, the running backs still were like three 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 and a half yards. Garwell was one of them. Um, and that was an issue last year. And now they're averaging like five, almost five yards of carry. The offensive line is playing much better. The defense is improved quite a bit too. Now, you know, for Louisville fans that are like, oh, BC got smoked last year, last week by NC state. They did. They absolutely got smoked by NC state, but it was a really, I mean, I know Matt was watching cause I was texting him. It was a really weird game. Like that it third was. quarter was that really, third quarter was nuts. It was weird. Yeah. Like all of a sudden it just like the wheels just like completely fell off. And part of Murphy's that Murphy's law was in full effect that night. <laughs> right. Like you have a kicker that's kicking a punter that's kicking 49 yard punts, just completely drop a punt and yeah. NC state just picks up and runs it in. You have, you know, um, the, like there Thomas catches one where the safety goes over, hits another wide receiver. It's just really weird play. He scores and it's over. That's it. That's all they have. Um, the defense in general, though, if you look at the first two quarters, I thought they played really well. I thought they played well against Clemson, but Clemson's offense is a train wreck right now. Uh, Mizzou hit or miss. And then so they, you know, I think when you look at BC stats, you have to remember that they played Mizzou, who's, you know, decent SEC school to, to bad. Um, and then three really bad teams to start the year, UMass, Temple, and Colgate. So good good improvement on the defense, but it's not there yet. Um, so I, I know you kind of touched up upon uh, Dennis Grossell. What is, is he – you kind of talked about him being maybe like a game manager of sorts, someone who kind of yep. does enough to get things going. But could he potentially be good enough to actually be a difference maker? Or is he go- just going to be relegated to someone who's going to be put in games, do enough to get Boston College to win – but maybe not enough to be like the guy making plays. Is that where kind of Grossell is right now? And plus, he, how, how does the team stop him from being that guy? He he can be. So he's so he's so hit or miss. Like if you looked at his stats from last year, I mean, he hit two touchdowns against Louisville to win it last year. He had he, he tied Doug Flutie's record for most yards in a game against UVA last year with 520 in the in the final. But he also threw like two or three interceptions. Solid so. company. <laughs> yeah, so he can throw it. His his decision making at time can be kind of questionable. Um, I think I think personally, what he would do best, and Halfley has said it a bunch at his press conferences, is get him. You know, do the smaller things. Get the ball out of his. What he struggles with most is when he's standing back there and holding onto the ball because he'll either get sacked or he'll make a bad read or he'll make a mistake. He needs quick things to just you know. Get the ball to Zay Flowers. Let Zay Flowers do things with his legs. Get the ball to Trey Barry. Let him do things. That is where he's successful because he's got more. He's more, much more uh, quick with his actions. He knows the offense. He knows where the guys are supposed to be. 
I think that's where it's better. When he starts bombing 30 to 40 yard passes, that's when BC's in a lot of trouble because they're wasting downs because he can never hit him and he makes mistakes. So it's, it's that, you know, he's a game manager, but I think they can still get the offense going even with him not being able to throw a long ball. Uh, you mentioned the offense just uh, being able to uh, break Matt Ryan's uh, record and stuff like that this year. Uh, do you think they've lived up to the hype? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they've struggled. Fair, fair. So, uh, you know, Zay Flowers is one of my – he's a, a, a character that you don't see at Boston College. Like, you go back in BC's history, you can't – I mean, I'm sure as a Louisville fan, you cannot think of a wide receiver Boston College has ever had that ended up in the, in the big leagues never happens ever tight ends. Yes. Wide receivers. No. Yeah. Right. Tight ends. You can, you know, Pete Mitchell, you know, Hunter long, you could, you could come yeah. up with a bunch for that wide receivers. They don't Zay flowers is elite. He, he has the ability to be a second round draft pick third round draft pick because he's that good. And he has like you know 400 yards receiving at 300 yards receiving. He hasn't been the game changer that they need him to be. And it's partially because Jakovic's gone. Jakovic had, elite and and i think both the i honestly my prediction they'll both be back next year i think they have a chemistry that is far superior to what grossell has with him Uh, but bc has some other other wide receivers that i just think once they get the offense going a little bit more i think they'll get it i think it'll be a little better but right now it's definitely not where it's going i mean right now it's a slog for them they're like every game that they played in the acc whether it's clemson or nc state it's like pulling teeth trying to get them into an end zone because it's just like they'll get they'll they'll move it and then it kind of slows down at different points and then they just can't get out of their own way the talk about a unit that can't get out of their own way is a perfect transition into Louisville's run defense 71st nationally they've uh, really struggled it seems like regardless of who the running back is I mean you go back to the opening game against Ole Miss uh, Central Florida Florida State Louisville has really allowed the run game to get going from a lot of different programs. They've done that in years past with Boston College. This is no familiarity uh, or no strange occurrence to you, knowing A.J. Dillon and, um, uh, you know, uh, was it David Bailey, the backup that ran all those yards for the years? So, you know, the running game against Louisville has kind of been the bread and butter. I know the run game from your perspective is not kind of what it has been in years past, but do you expect – uh, BC to really rely on that on Saturday and be able to excel there considering Louisville's defensive struggles. I think this is going to be something to watch for because I think their running game is good. It's just the last two games that just run into, you know, toughness. So like against Mizzou, Mizzou is, you know, you're talking defenses that have struggled against the run. Mizzou's rushing defense is atrocious and BC ran all day on them. And so BC is bringing back five returning offensive linemen, you know, Alec Lindstrom, his brother, Chris is, a, you know, the mm-hmm. guard for the Atlanta Falcons, Tyler Vrabel, who is questionable for this game. His dad's the coach of the Tennessee Titans. Um, and then you get Zion Johnson, who is um, midseason All-American right now at guard. He is incredible. He hasn't let up a single sack all season. Uh, Christian Mahogany, and I'm blanking on the last person's name. And I, Oh, Ben Petrula. They, they've all been there forever. Uh, so you have a good offensive line that has not missed time. And, I think that against a, a against a weak rushing defense could be a big problem for the Cardinals heading into Saturday. All right, so now I now I want to kind of switch things up and get talked enough about offense. Let's talk about defense. Yep. I was a little bit 
interested and intrigued about something when I was kind of looking up uh, Boston College's stats. They, like, on paper, statistically have, you know, good defense, 35th in the nation, 5th in the ACC, only giving up 329 yards per game. But then I looked at sacks, tackles for lost. They're dead last in the ACC. Yep. And they still have statistically one of the best um, defenses in the ACC and top 40 in the country. How in the world are they doing so well on defense, but on paper? Now, granted, I haven't watched as many Boston College games as you. How are no. they doing so well on the defensive end, but not really getting in the backfield? I mean, it's been a big issue with BC. They haven't been able to pressure the quarterback. Um, the, what they've done, and I think it's, it speaks to what Halfley is good at, is he can, he's basically mixing up everything he can do. Like what he's going for to get pressure on a quarterback or to get them to get the ball out and make bad decisions is switching up constantly, like getting, you know, sending, you know, extra guys back into coverage or, you know, blitzing from different positions and he's just doing it constantly. So BC has been very, very good at confusing opponents, quarterbacks and trying to keep them off guard. Um, So, in a sense, that has kind of taken the place of rushing the quarterback. I think BC has done a nice job of preventing quarterbacks from really exploiting all of this. So, you know, DJ from Clemson, he had a couple rushes here and there, but he didn't. I mean, he, he, I think he got, I don't think he got sacked or he got sacked once or twice. Yeah, he got one sacked on a weird play where he tried to kind of bootleg out and got hit. But, you know, it was mostly keeping him in the pocket and confusing the hell out of him. So I think that's what BC's going to do because they don't have the defensive ends right now. You know, Halfley is playing with Steve Adazio's defensive ends and neither of them, Marcus Valdez and Brandon Barlow are like what I would consider game changers. Marcus Valdez is good. He had a really good game against NC state. They got banged up and missed the rest. Um, he's, he's key. Uh, but, you know, I think what Halfley is going for. So Valdez and Barlow are big, burly defensive ends. The guys that he's bringing in, you'll see him on Saturday. Donovan Azaraku, you'll see um, Ty Clemens and possibly Nito Ekpala. All three are freshmen, are much smaller defensive ends and quicker. They're quicker guys. They, he wants smaller guys at defensive end. So you'll see Azaraku plays quite a bit, and he looks like a linebacker the way he plays. He's smaller. Um, he's like 230, I think. Um, and I think that's where he's going to go. But right now, they're not getting any pressure, and you'll see it, and you'll see what – Halfley's trying to do to kind of mask that um, against a mobile quarterback though. I think that's going to be something that we haven't seen yet. So I'm curious to see how BC does that because that was a huge issue they had last year. So just a quick follow-up who, who is Boston college's defensive X X factor. Cause I was, when I, when I was looking, looking at the stats on them, yep. there's not really anyone that stands out and kind of like how I was talking about on your show, how Louisville doesn't really have any wide receivers to stand out, but collectively are really good. Yep. It seems like across the board defensively, it's kind of the case there too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's not a name that I would say is like a guy that takes over games. The one name that has popped up more and more is Isaiah Graham Mobley, their linebacker, who's a transfer from Temple. Um, much quicker. And I think he's going to play a bigger role when he plays against a guy like, you know, Malik Cunningham, he's going to have to be bigger. So I think in a game like this, I would, I would put Graham Mobley and then I would put Jaden Woodby, who is a former five-star uh, safety from Florida state that transferred to BC this off season. Um, be, uh, you know, I talked about what Halfley likes to do to mix things up. He can line up in the box. He can line up in coverage, move him all around again, like 
to support against a mobile quarterback like Cunningham that can kill him, you know, he's going to have to play a big role. So I think he's someone to watch for. He's had some big plays, um, but he hasn't had a big, no one on BC's defense has had a big game yet. All right. We will close it out here with your prediction, AJ, and what you believe will happen on Saturday, but I want to get a little two-parter here. Uh, Before you answer with your score, tell me uh, Boston college wins the game against Louisville. If blank. Okay. That's that's the same question to Matt on my show. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, Boston college wins this game. If they can keep their offense moving, Um, you know, when they get, when they, when they're, you know, not behind the sticks, when they're not, you know, third and long, they're, they're good. They're able to move the ball. I like the way the offense moves so that Grossell can do things. If they can continue to do that, I think against a defense like Louisville that have struggled, they'll be in good shape. And give me your score, sir. What do you see happening as the final score on Saturday <laughs> when the clock hits zero at Cardinal Stadium? So I, you know, going into, I was on, on another Louisville podcast earlier this week and I picked Louisville to win, but then I, then I started digging into the stats. I know it's a road game and I, and that should favor Louisville, but I look at what Louisville's struggling with and it really feeds into what Boston college could exploit. So I think Halfley will have some sort of answer to keep Cunningham under control. Um, I think it's going to be a close game, but I do think BC might win this one. Um, I think it'll be like, you know, 31, 28 or something like that. It's certainly been um, an evolution of BC Louisville, uh, considering where we were in 2014 and Louisville joined the conference. The games have become yep. much more competitive. Chucky Williams is still feeling that stiff arm. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, stiff like, arm still hurts. Like I was telling Matt later. on my podcast. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned that, that on that one too. It's, it's hard to erase that from your memory. But I, I was saying on the on the flip side, the biggest butt kicking I've ever saw was when Lamar Jackson came to um, to Alumni Stadium. I don't even remember what the hell the score was, but I ended up leaving with my friends to go to the bar at halftime because they had like six touch. He had like six touchdowns at halftime. It was the most incredible athletic performance I've ever seen out of quarterback. And I, it's a game I will never forget. Cause we went to the bar afterwards and we're like, he's still scoring. What the heck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine Lamar. That's Jackson Lamar. Yeah. Many of many of folks to the bar wondering how many more times he was going to score. Oh, absolutely. So. It was crazy. <laughs> Alumni right. was dead by halftime. <laughs> oh man. Well, AJ black, BC bulletin. Thank you for joining the show. Talking a little bit of Boston college football. Louisville will go head to head with Boston college on Saturday. Be sure to check out BC bulletin uh, and AJ and all the work that he does there. And AJ, please uh, put, Go ahead and pl- plug the podcast. Oh, plug my favorite. Thank you. Matt will, if you won't. I will he tell you that. had, this man had a plus ad reads. I sat through a couple of them and I'm just like, wow. Okay. Oh, this, I feel yeah. like I'm listening to the Sweet radio. Block, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Gambling. I can, I can do everything, you know, you, you get a good read. Anyways, I'm the host of locked on Boston college. Um, I do a daily BC podcast. I talk about Boston college sports. I'm the only one that does that. And I'm crazy for doing it because I don't know anyone else who would ever think of doing that. Um, especially when we get to basketball season, which I'll join you when you guys want to talk about a team that really is going to be bad this year. It's <laughs> certainly what we want to talk about. No, we'll yeah. talk about BC basketball and how badly they'll, they'll uh, anyways, locked on, <laughs> locked on BC on um, wherever you get your podcast on YouTube. You can find me there too. Um, I'm, the ho- um, I'm the editor of bcbulletin.com and you can find me on Twitter at AJ black underscore BC.
Fantastic. Thank you again for joining the show. And uh, we uh, will keep in touch, I would imagine, over the next couple of months. So thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Be sure to subscribe from the Pink Seats podcast. Just had a great episode with Tyler Griever, WHAS 11. Be sure to check that out. And guys, we've uh, we've got a big week in here. So I'm hoping next week when we get back together that a little bit more positive news to talk about versus what we've talked about the last few weeks. We will catch you guys next week. Appreciate it. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.